Most people believe Billy Graham's family is protected from life's obstacles, all the bad things. And that's what I thought too. But with tears in my eyes, I confessed to my mother, I think I'm pregnant. Days after the doctors confirmed that I was indeed pregnant, we were trying to figure out what I was going to do. We sat down with friends, we talked to counselors, we knew the baby's father wanted nothing to do with me or this baby. He had pushed me to have an abortion. I was 16, I was pregnant. In high school, I had no job, and now there was no father for the baby I carried. Abortion, adoption, and keeping were all valid options. And yes, even Billy Graham's family thought about abortion. It's a natural reaction. In our small town, we were fortunate enough not to have Planned Parenthood, but a woman's pregnancy center that was devoted to life and helped me walk through some of the early steps of being pregnant. My mom and I could never agree on what I wanted to do or what we wanted to do. Every time one wanted to have an abortion, the other wanted to have, give birth. Then the next minute it was the one wanted to give birth and the other wanted an abortion. It was your typical mother-daughter teenage relationship. Yet, I'll never forget when I was a sophomore in high school. It had a picture of God with a man just shouting out at him, saying, where's the cure for cancer? Where's the cure for AIDS? Where's world peace? Where's the harmony? And God just looked back at that man, and he said, you aborted them all. This cartoon made a profound impact on me at the time and has continued to impact me throughout these years. It was ultimately this cartoon that decided the baby's fate that I carried. I would definitely carry it to term. I had made a decision, but life, and life went on. The pregnancy wasn't obvious, so life went on as normal. I just lived as I wanted to. The funny thing, though, about living in a small town is that they knew what I was doing before I even knew what I was doing. So it was best that I needed leave the area. I went to an unwed mother's home to get away, and it was a house so full of hurt young girls who had been abandoned by the world. We were very isolated, and we were unable to live a normal life. I especially was feeling abandoned by God and the world. Even in those moments of complete loneliness, God was providing the footing for his ultimate plan. Eventually, I did have the opportunity to move to Philadelphia to live with a family. I moved into this family home where there were two boys, a father, and a mother. And even moving into another place in another location, I still found myself feeling alone and abandoned. At the time I arrived in Philadelphia, I was going to keep the baby, but I had no plan. The mother of the family I lived with, Sarah, and I began working on a plan. She directed me to focus beyond the here and now. My mom had made the painful decision that she just couldn't have me live with her and the baby. My dad said I could live with him, but I didn't have a relationship with him. So that really wasn't an option for me. One day, Sarah had been counseling another young lady who was pregnant. 
and she was planning to place her daughter up for adoption. After one of their sessions, I went upstairs and I saw these folders laying on the table. And they were, had pictures in them, and they were adoptive couple profiles. I was curious of what these people would look like. You know, would they have horns, one eye, you know, just random thoughts would come to my teenage mind. So I picked up the profile, the folder, and in the profile, I saw the first one. It was okay. The second one was ugh, okay. And the third profile flew right off the page at me. They were an attractive couple. She was a special education teacher. I had a learning disability. He was a lawyer, and I could argue the legs off of a table. Although I was adamant I was going to keep my daughter, I shocked myself by saying, if I had to choose adoption, this is the couple I would pick. God was beginning to work on my heart and put his plan in place, not my plan. Even after seeing this profile, I continued my plan to parent. So Sarah and I priced diapers, utilities, rent, daycare, and I was shocked at how much everything actually costs. We discussed the responsibility of raising a daughter and what I wanted for her. All my life, I had desperately wanted a father and a real relationship with my dad. He had traveled so much for business that he was never, never able to invest in me. And above all else, for my daughter, I wanted her to have a dad, a daddy. A loving, tender, firm, time-investing kind of daddy. I wanted her to be a daddy's girl, like I did. A couple weeks went by after seeing the profile, and despite my determination to raise this precious girl, God was slowly preparing my heart for adoption. I knew I would finally find, I knew I would find a way to provide material things for her. Lack of love was not an issue. I loved her more than my heart could contain. Yet the one thing I couldn't provide was a daddy. It was this simple yet complicated fact that changed my mind from raising her to give her a, for releasing her for adoption. I made a family building, life-giving decision that is always a vital option. I made the decision, but life was not easy after that. Every day, a bitter battle dwelled within about what I wanted and what was best for my daughter. I changed my mind every two minutes. While I was emotionally struggling with reality, I was also having to begin to move forward with my plans for adoption. Months turned into days, days turned into hours, and hours turned into running out of time. On a midsummer day, in the wee hours of the morning, my baby girl arrived weighing seven pounds, seven ounces, just like me. She looked like the most angelic china doll. She was perfect in every way. Like James 1.17 says, every good and perfect gift is from above. While at the hospital, I changed my mind every second. 
I refused to let the adoptive family come to the hospital. I could not bear to look at the woman who was more prepared to raise my daughter than I was. She'd get her for the rest of her life. I just wanted these few precious moments. I remember that internal struggle as if it was going on today. In spite of my lack of conviction about adoption, I did carry on with my decision. I took the baby home with me for a couple days. I absorbed every single look, every single motion, every whimper, and every gas smile. <laughs> I have etched it into my heart where time has remained still. Desperate to make time stop, I realized that it hadn't, and the day of release was upon me. I loved her so much, I physically hurt. How could I possibly do this? It was against every motherly instinct I had. Giving her up was just something I wasn't sure I could do. As we drove to a familiar home of a family friend where I would give her to her new family, I just held her hand and cried softly. When we arrived at our friend's, I just refused to get out of the car. If I got out, that actually meant I was agreeing to give this baby up for adoption. And I really didn't want to do this. I did know, though, I had to. We went inside and we spent a few minutes talking to the adoptive couple and watching my daughter's every moment. Everyone was talking as if we were at a family gathering. It was quite surreal. Then the time came. While holding my baby girl closely in my arms, I began to gather enough strength to stand up and walk over to the eager couple. I hugged the father, and then I hugged the mom. And as my embrace with the mother was ending, she began to take her away from me. Immediately, I withdrew her. I couldn't do this yet. But against my instinct, I began to hand her over to her new family, and it felt as if I was ripping out my own heart of my chest. It was done. She was theirs, and I was left empty. As they pulled away, I stood sobbing in the driveway so I could no longer see the vehicle. My mom and I quickly got into the, her car and headed home to Virginia. We arrived home very late that night, and I just crawled upstairs to my bed and sobbed myself to sleep. I woke up, and I was numb. For six weeks, I was numb. And then, after six weeks, like a bomb went off. The numbness wore out, the bottom fell out, and I literally lost my mind. I had this constant nagging and longing ache for my daughter. After a couple of months, I began to get my life together, and things calmed down quite a bit. Before long, I began to date a boy. He listened to me, and he made me laugh. It had been a long time since I had laughed. But more importantly, he made me forget about that nagging ache that I had for my daughter, and gave me the attention I so desperately needed. 
It wasn't long before I found myself pregnant again, seven months after I'd given up my daughter. This time, abortion was considered more than the first time. I went as far as calling the abortion clinic and making an appointment. I never went, and once again, I chose to carry this unplanned baby to term, even without his father present. On a cool November day, I brought my second child into this world. He was precious and perfect in every way. He was born into this world without a dad and with a mom who had no clue what she was doing. But I did what I had to do, and I spent the next seven years doing what I had to do. I made a ton of mistakes, and in spite of me, he has turned out to be a wonderful 18-year-old boy who is currently in Hawaii enjoying himself. <laughs> after a lot of frogs, I got my friends. We were married shortly after meeting. He is my calm in the midst of the storm, and he accepts me, all of me. And his view on my past is, well, if you had taken any other, made any other choice, it wouldn't have led you to me. Seven years ago, tears streamed down my face as the ultrasound tech told us we were having a little girl. I finally get to raise my little girl. Margaret Ruth has been a pure joy and has helped me heal in ways I never thought would be possible. You would think my story would end there with me and abortions. I was kind of hoping it would too, but it didn't. 18 months after Margaret Ruth was born, my doctors would be concerned about the baby I carried. For weeks, they couldn't see his stomach. They sent me down to have a feel MRI. And it showed everything was fine. The next time I saw my doctor, she asked me, what would you have done had you known he wasn't perfect? What do you mean? She replied, would you have aborted? No, he is perfect in every way. Payson arrived earlier than expected, and he was born with an APGAR score of one, which means he is in desperate need of medical intervention. He spent a total of 151 days in the ICU, had four major surgeries before we were finally able to take our baby home. Despite his medical complications, he is a normal six-year-old boy who just happens to have a G-tube and a drake. He keeps up laughing, but more importantly, he has a heart for Jesus. Just this week, he asked his dad, do you know why I didn't cry when you left the room? Daddy said, no. And Payson said, I kept repeating, God is always with me. God is always with me. After going through hell with Payson medically, almost losing him several times, and knowing what I know now, I would still tell that doctor, nope, he is perfect in every way. It's been 20 years since my daughter was born. She has a beautiful relationship with her adoptive dad, and he has been true to his word. She is very much a daddy's girl. And that prince I married, well, he turned out to be a prince for my daughter, too. He is what fairy tale dads are made of. Our baby girl is truly a daddy's girl. Now you'd think I would be done with my story. I really had hoped, too. But that wasn't what God had in the plan. In the beginning of the, the life stories, the beginning of my life stories have ended, but the older I get, I am once again 
needing to take a stand for life, my life. You've heard that ignorance is bliss. Well, when you have long-term health issues, their statement could be true. Two, two years ago, I was diagnosed. Sorry, I have never talked about this in public, so I might choke up. Um, with having a heart aneurysm. At the time, we thought it would require emergency sur surgery, and it needed a specific heart surgeon. God perfectly arranged a meeting with this world-renowned heart surgeon, where he told me, I had time before we really need to worry about open-heart surgery. Yet in the next breath, he told his nurse to hand me the phone number for the medical helicopter transportation team. Time would be of the essence if it did burst. Then just last year, last year I was diagnosed with LAM. LAM is a very rare fatal lung disease where cysts begin forming on your air sacs and your lungs, and it slowly suffocates you. The outlook of the disease is grim, and although medical progress is inching forward, there is no cure, and it is far from reach. Breath is easy now for me, and it is certain that as I stand here in front of you, that assisted suicide is not an option. Honestly, I know when the disease advances, there will be times that I will struggle on my stance for assisted suicide. When the rubber meets the road, will I be strong enough to be pro-life from beginning of my life to the end? Or would I just believe life is worth saving from conception? For now, I'd like to think I'm a true pro-lifer. I believe that life is precious at every stage. I also believe we have an amazing God who knows what he's doing and always has a plan for his own glory.